Hey, what's up? Today we are talking to Ricky Olson of Motionless and White. Very excited to have been able to get on a call with him. Obviously, Motionless is one of my favorite bands in the scene because they are so similar to the Browning. And this was just such a good conversation, and he's just such a nice dude. So let's get into the episode. But first, become a member for only $3 today and support the Burn This World podcast. It sounds like a very little amount of money, but collectively, it really does add up for us. And you get a lot of exclusive content for that three bucks. You get the icebreaker section where I ask the guests some silly questions before the podcast starts to get the conversation rolling. You also get the after show recap where I review what we talked about personally and give my opinions on it. You also get some unreleased music like random metalcore songs I wrote over the years or Browning songs that I never finished. And you get some behind the scenes Browning stuff like my recording process on the End of Existence record. So you get a lot of exclusive content, and it really helps us out. Head over to burnthisworld.com and click the Become a Member button. For only 3 bucks a month, it really goes a long way. Again, burnthisworld.com and click Become a Member. Thank you so much. Let's get into this episode with Ricky. Such a good one. Make sure you leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. I'm Johnny McBee, and you're listening to the Burn This World podcast. Yep, that's what I grew up on, and that's just... It's tough to find new music anymore, man. It's like you you browse Spotify for related artists, and it's like nothing just... I don't know if it's the nostalgia factor, but mm -hmm. there's just something that you just can't replicate with all the stuff that you grew up on. And I don't know if that's... I feel like maybe that's a common thing with just people in general, where whatever they grew up on, they just listen forever, and that's why... Yeah. Our parents listened to ACDC and <laughs> Bon Jovi and all those bands. Um, but it, it it's just, it's weird how that works. Yeah. I, it's, it's a common topic I talk about a lot, actually, because I talk a lot about songwriting on here. Um, and it, it is hard to kind of look from an outside perspective and not just like be boomers and be like, no, music was better, you know, back then. <laughs> and, but I mean, it, it really does feel that way. But, um, I don't know. I feel like there's just a, a certain edge that has been kind of lost in modern metalcore. Um, and I don't know exactly why, but it just, it doesn't feel like it has the impact that it used to. I almost wonder if it has to do with TikTok culture, you know, where <laughs> yeah. everything has to be trendy and everybody has to do the newest mm -hmm. thing. Whereas back then it was everybody was just trying to be the heaviest band in the world. Yeah. And that was really it. Yeah. And uh, that's one thing that I, I talk about a lot is like the need to be like polished or try to write like as a small band. I don't think you should necessarily be writing for like commercial success. Like I think you should be writing to like, get, like keep people on their toes and catch them by surprise. I think that. Maybe once you get big enough, you can write for commercial success. But I think at the beginning, if that's if that's what you're writing for, I think it's you're not going to do anything personally. Definitely, I think if you, unless you are the owner of a label and you're specifically like, I'm going to just create this band and they're going to be like my success band. Mm -hmm. I think unless you're doing that, if you're creating music solely to get success 
you're definitely not going to succeed. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, because people can sense authenticity, you know? it's Exactly, yeah. And so it's like, I think um, really, especially right now, the most surprising and energetic and not like structured music is the stuff that's really popping off currently. Um, but at the same time, uh, one thing I was thinking about er- er- uh, a while ago was that, you know, we say stuff like early Asley dying, like nothing can beat that or, you know, our our view on those albums those are like nostalgic and perfect but say stuff there are kids out there that are going to be like you know 12 years old listening to i prevail for the first time be like no that stuff is going to be their nostalgia and that's what is they're going to hold on to for the rest of their life you know yep and like i mean even you guys you guys have uh you know mass success uh especially with uh a younger audience it seems and so like i feel like you guys have this ability currently to be like a mainstay band for the future of a lot of people that are going to be like holding on to your songs and like your current albums not even necessarily your old ones but your current ones as like their nostalgia of what they grew up on yeah it's weird to think about that because especially when you're you know, involved in the music industry and you're the one writing it and you're the one being the centerpiece of the band. It's like, uh, or I should say the, you know, you're just in the thick of it. And so you don't really think about that kind of thing, but it it is interesting to kind of take a step back and and think about it in that way. I don't think I've ever really done that actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I listened to a lot of your guys. I mean, you guys, and not to sound, um, I don't know, corny or whatever, but Absolutely, 100%. You guys are like my favorite band in the scene. Uh, obviously, you're the most relative band to my music as well. Um, there's not that many bands that have so much electronics in it. And so I've just always been like personally, I, I felt personally invested in y'all stuff just because you're so close to the stuff that I write. And um, I think that you guys have done like a, a really good transition of going from being like straight up like metalcore to evolving into this like bigger thing. And um, I just think I see what you guys do, especially with like these more ballad type songs. Um, and whenever you guys are writing those, like those a bit slower, like big chorus, like those big melodic songs, do you feel like you're writing the modern version of like those big, like poison ballad songs from back in like the eighties? <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I have to say thank you because that's a huge compliment. Um, I, I I think when you go into writing a song like that, I don't think that you think about it that way. I know that when we're working on stuff like that, it feels like we're thinking about it more like, is this a song that fans can sing along to live? Yeah. And that's kind of the more more where, where our head's at rather than like, this is going to be this big, huge ballad. Cause I mean, we didn't, we didn't know that, you know, masterpiece was going to do what it did. And I, when we were working on that song, it was just kind of like, Oh, this is a great song and we all like it. And this could be a great sing along song live. And looking at the album as a whole, that was just the the song that everybody thought would be the, the best first kind of radio push song. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't think that we, went into it going this is going to be a massively successful song it was just kind of like 
I think fans will think this is cool, kind of along, along the the vein of Another Life or mm-hmm. um, or Voices or, or something like that. That's more sing alongy, and and that's more of where where our heads at when we're working on stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And you guys um, do have the like anytime I feel like people are writing in the metal genre, they are always thinking about crowd participation. At least I always am. Um, for sure. And so you guys do have that ability with these big courses um, that you, you, the sing-alongs can be a crowd participation thought. Like I don't ever have that thought. <laughs> I don't have big courses like that. So, <laughs> you know, it's really cool that um, that's something. And I mean, um, you guys, I really like how diverse you guys have it because you do have these really fast, thrashy, like uh, bleeding through songs. But then you also have these super melodic, more emotional songs and which one which is your favorite of those two to write oh man to write uh to write man that's a tough question i i feel like i'm more inclined to want to write the faster thrashier stuff just because it comes so second nature to me because that's just again what i grew up on and what i always have listened to um but i think it's funner to try to write the bigger songs and try to write the more sing along mm-hmm. more um more actual songwriting songs you know um and it seems like like trying to write those songs feels more complicated i guess it, yeah. it's weird because it's like the e- the the easier the song feels the harder it is to write because then every part becomes so important and every part is so crucial to how the overall flow is Mm -hmm. you know every single thing has to be the catchiest part of the song otherwise it's kind of just like why are you working on this definitely and uh the what was like the earliest song that you guys have that started hinting towards this ability to write that style of stuff this big potential like radio music Either was it like America, like pushing towards that sound, or like what other songs in that time kind of gave you that motivation of like, you know, what, we can actually have some commercial success? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't think that there was it was ever a full thought. I think yeah. it was more just kind of like because we have songs going back to before Creatures even came mm-hmm. out. You know, we had songs like Ghost in the Mirror that had a super catchy chorus and it wasn't yeah. we didn't write it with the intention of let's try to get this song on the radio it was just kind of like uh we like bands that sound like under yeah. oath and have catchy choruses so we're going to do the same thing and that's that's just kind of how it went and it just evolved over time and uh, and then we it, it's it started to feel almost like I think the best way that I can put it is it you get to a point if you're playing the type of music that we're playing and you have the ability to kind of cross over into this radio market you kind of start realizing that there's a a ceiling on where you what your success level can be and it it almost feels like starting over yeah like when we started getting tours with like the first one we did, I think, was Slipknot, and then doing the tour we did with Corn and Breaking Ben. 
you play those shows and it's like nobody knows who you are <laughs> and yeah. it's like going back six seven years you know you're starting all over again and trying to break into this new market and um and then you realize just how big music actually is and you're like oh wow this we're we're not very big at all <laughs> yeah definitely we uh we played a couple shows with corn as well and we were so stoked because i was well first we had to price match merch it was like 45 dollar t-shirts <laughs> and this was like oh, yeah. this was like eight years ago or something so uh, that was mind-blowing to me and i was like okay sick we'll we'll sell a good amount of merch and make some good money with these margins and we sold like two (laughs) t-shirts to a crowd of like (laughs) 3500 people and it's like it 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 is it is mind-blowing um the following that a lot of those mainstay bands have and it's just it it's uh and that's one thing i've i've kind of talked about with um, a lot of these bands that have transitioned into like this um, bigger realm of like aggressive music, you know, and it's, uh, you know, Aston Alexandria is always a band people talk about of, you know, they've, you know, quote unquote sold out or whatever. And I don't like using the word t- sold out, but that's just what everyone says. Um, but do you, so whenever you get that moment and you have that moment and you see like what it, what it can be, was that then like a driving force? on like the songwriting in the band or the mentality of the band that like we have to transition to this stuff so that we can have that level of success? I don't know if it's a a conscious shift. I think it's more of like a, you see that you're this, this little tiny drop in the ocean of music. Yeah. And I think that that just kind of changes your perspective on what you're writing and how you go about writing and, um, and I, and I don't think that it, it's, yeah, I, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think you just kind of start, I mean, we're fortunate to be able to be, to be able to do that, you know, where other bands can't necessarily do that other, like you said, they're going to be perceived as selling out or whatever. And, um, fortunately we have a background history and an, and a clear evolution to yeah. where we are now that makes sense. And so I I think that's tough. It's a tough, a tough question to answer because on one hand, no, but on the other hand, maybe a (laughs) little bit because then you're starting to realize like, well, if we stick around in just the metal core world, we're going to be another band like, Himsa or another mm-hmm. band like 18 visions that just kind of slowly disappear and mm-hmm. fall into the void and never be heard of for, heard from again. And when you're an artist and you're in a band or you're creating whatever you're creating, you want to share it with as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. I think then your goal changes to say, okay, well now we have this whole other untapped market. Maybe we should write a song that could be a little bit, more geared towards yeah. those those people or um and see how that goes. Yeah. And and I think that the the way that we've done it in the past is we've kind of towed the line. And I think the first song that really really did that for us was Reincarnate, where it yeah. was like very very I don't think that it was again, I don't think that we went into re- writing the song Reincarnate 
as like, this is going to be the radio hit. But once we had the chorus written, we were like, oh, wow, this could be a radio song. Yeah. And then our perspective on the song changed and we were like, this could be the song that pops off for us and Mm -hmm. does it. And uh, yeah, so I guess in a roundabout way, that's just me saying maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's also like just for anyone out there it's it's just realistic once you start getting towards your 30s you got to start thinking realistically about a a proper career and what's the right path but i do think that you're exactly right in what i said about you guys earlier is you did a really good transition and then not only that you're still writing really heavy music as well like you still have those big breakdowns and the the screams and all of that and so it's like I, i think you guys have done that that sort of transition perfectly and um and also, it just it takes you guys to another level of inspiration. Like your guys' production is really sick. Like, and so being out with bands like that, you see their level of production. You're like, we need to step it up. Like, and so it's it's really cool that you guys have been going towards that bigger bigger level of production and everything. And and seeing uh, videos from your guys' show in Scranton, that was sick. Oh yeah. <laughs> How did yeah, that thank feel? You, yeah. Dude, I I don't even have words to describe that. Like, we were on stage about to go out and play that show, and our uh, one of our our guys from Roadrunner was there, and I turned to him and I said, "I saw Slipknot play this stage like two years ago, and I was right out there in the lawn." Yep. And so, being able to play that same stage in the same setup and everything that I watched Slipknot play two years prior was just just that in itself was like this full circle moment of like wow this is so crazy to me um, but when you're on stage it it I think your adrenaline is so high that you just black out <laughs> it's just, a blur <laughs> you get off st- yeah you're just like I think that was cool I don't really know <laughs> <laughs> well the videos look cool that's all that matters right proof yeah you got yeah vitter no proof and i mean it's uh and i mean scranton's not a huge market either you know it is but it's not like playing philly or you know new york city or something and so to have that kind of pool have you guys as a band had like hometown pool or have you kind of like superseded like hometown pool or is there still like a a big like this is our hometown like vibe whenever you're playing there I think that that's shifted over time. Yeah. So when we first started, or at least when I first started in the band, it seemed like everybody locally hated us. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just like local band rivalry where it was like, we were the ones that made it out of this area. So people were like, that band sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what that, what that whole deal was, but, over time that's kind of shifted and now we have crazy hometown support. Like anytime we play here, anytime we do a signing or a CD release event or anything, it's just like insane. Like when we, we did a a signing at this place called gallery of sound, which is right downtown. And we stood and signed for five hours. (laughs) As cool as that is, that's kind of a nightmare too. It was rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's sick though. And, um, 
and I, I kind of had a similar experience in hometown with my music as well. Whenever I started it up before we started touring, everyone kind of was about it. But then once I started booking our own tours and we got signed, then everyone absolutely hated it. And it was just, it is a weird thing. I don't understand why local bands like despise whenever someone else actually makes it work. You would think they would be like, Hey, like let's, let's hook up. Let's make something happen or like get some advice or something. It It is weird how that really does happen. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why, because it feels like when you're starting all the local bands are all together and everybody's yep. friends and they're all trying to help each other and book shows together. And then, it's like so one person gets success and everybody's like, fuck that band. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, there's this band that um, from Kansas City that we always had played the shows with us whenever we'd come through. And um, and then even just whenever we first started and they they had some drama where they were like kicking out their drummer because he couldn't afford to pay his part of like their recording process. And so I like offered to record them completely for free so they wouldn't have any drama or anything. And I was recording all of my own stuff at that time too. So it's not like it sucked. And uh, they just absolutely ghosted me. They like, didn't want any help from me at all. Wow. And I was just like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm done here. <laughs> wow. And it's just, a, it is a weird thing. And um, I don't know. I, I, I do think that in the bigger scene, there's a lot more, um, camaraderie and especially with people that you've toured with uh having good relationships and it's like it's almost like you make friends and then you don't see them for three years but then right when you see them again like they're they're you're right there almost like you're on tour again who has been the band that you guys have toured with that has been that that band that you'll be friends with forever oh definitely Beartooth. Beartooth. yep i don't know what it was but it was like immediately from the very first show we were like oh yeah this is this is the band um we've had that same type of vibe with the ghost inside in the past yeah. and uh yeah i don't know why beartooth it's like they're all completely opposite personalities of us yeah and uh you wouldn't think that it worked but i guess they say <laughs> opposites attract so right. <laughs> i guess that's that yeah and I mean, it's it's also nice being in in an environment that it's it's really good shows. Everyone's just stoked to be there, you know. And uh, I mean, I just I, I I do love meeting some people. My the people that I've met on tour that are my favorite is Electric Callboy. They're just the funnest people to be around and super professional. And I don't know, I just I absolutely love those guys, and they're so creative. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and. Um, playing on this level like whenever you're like i talk to a lot of bands on here but you know honestly not not many that are to the caliber of what you guys are doing now and what you've been doing for a couple of years like seeing this uh trinity and territory it's freaking it's freaking blowing my mind um like what you guys are doing and i'm sure you guys were kind of thinking the same thing um like the numbers were it was just blowing my mind the kind of rooms that you guys were doing and whenever you're touring on that level um at these huge freaking rooms, like the difference of hospitality from like when you guys were torn back in the day, say like I, I saw you guys at the door in Dallas in like 2010, like going from wow. like the door to going to um, like what you guys are doing on Trinity of Terror. What's like the difference of the hospitality? 
Well, um, <laughs> there's definitely a clear difference. Yeah. I, I mean, back then it was just, you're getting maybe five bucks a day and that was, <laughs> that was it. Definitely. Um, and now we have like catering every day and, mm-hmm. you know, food and drinks, whatever. And, um, showers available at any time laundry what's the part of that what's the part of that kind of hospitality that you appreciate the most honestly i like the catering yeah i I like not thinking about what i'm gonna eat (laughs) definitely just takes takes all the stress out of my day because that's that's really just the, the most difficult part is just what am I supposed to eat today? Where do I have to walk to? Do I have to get it delivered? <laughs> yep. And um, so to not have to think about that is great. And I feel like such a shithead for saying that because that's like <laughs> my life is so easy. All I have to worry about is what I'm eating. But um, in the touring world, you know, when you're when you're doing shows like that, that that really is like there's not really a whole lot to have to worry about because right. for there's you're fortunate enough to have people that worry about everything for you right and um so yeah i'm very thankful to to be where i am and i i don't want people to misunderstand that as oh for sure i mean (laughs) i mean people like like you guys and like you said ghost inside bear tooth i also think like stick to your guns like a lot of bands that have had big time success after grinding forever i think are the people that really do truly appreciate it because you've seen that grind you know you you know the difference you know and so i i wouldn't doubt for a second that you guys don't appreciate where you're at you know and so that's i think that that's awesome um and was it hard to kind of let more people kind of get involved in the sense of like i'm sure you have a guitar tech or i'm sure that you know there's things like that um a lot of a lot of dudes are always like, "Oh no, I would never take out a guitar tech. I'm going to do this by myself forever." Like, <laughs> at what point do you get to where you're like, "No, actually, we're going to take a guitar tech and let someone handle this stuff, so we don't have to." Was it hard to kind of allow that to happen, or how long did you hold on to that? You know, I think a lot of that has to do with just the production of the show. Yeah, um, I think the the mystique of not seeing the band before they Definitely. play is a huge part of just live music and especially our live show. So I think we didn't really even have a say in that. It was kind of like, well, we can't really just go out there and just start checking our guitars because that would, you know, especially if we're, if we're all makeup up, yeah, and exactly. we have outfits or whatever, that's just going to ruin the surprise of yeah. what the show is. So I think that more than anything, that kind of dictated for sure. That that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you guys are a presence, you know? And, I mean, for me, it's like, I I have a problem with uh, letting some of my responsibilities go at times. And I also, at, at times, I feel like I can only trust myself to make sure things are right. And uh, so what I do whenever I'm going and, like, checking the laptop before we play and making sure the lights are all hooked up properly, I, I put on a windbreaker and, like, cover myself completely. <laughs> so I'm, like, trying to hide <laughs> behind this windbreaker and act like I'm not like the vocalist or whatever. And uh, I don't think it works really, but maybe it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've done that with, uh, with masks before and that's, it's not fun. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's, it, it, you're right. And that's, I think one big difference between like the scene now and like maybe 
like the like older music industry where like you said there's a mystique there's a mystery to who's this band whereas like nowadays everyone is so accessible um like via social media and whatnot do you kind of like wish there was more mystique or do you like the more accessible like access like fans have access to you through instagram or you know that sort of thing so that i think is a double-edged sword i think that having the accessibility is a great thing but i also think that it comes at a cost yeah um it feels like the accessibility lends to more entitlement Uh, people feel like they're entitled to your time and because they're fans of the music or of the band they feel like well I should be able to talk to you and you should have to talk to me and yeah. um, you should have to listen to what I say and, you know, sign X, Y, Z or mm-hmm. give me a shout out for my birthday or whatever. And not that I don't do those things, but it's just, it, it, it does kind of take away from, I don't know. There, there's a, uh, so back when, social media wasn't really a thing. There was no way to get in touch with anybody. Yeah. Like you, if you, I mean, even early two thousands, it was like, if you were listening to Azalea dying, you can't just go message Tim Lambesis on line and be like, Hey man, can I have some screaming tips? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think that that there's something cool to be said about that because it almost gives this like untouchable feeling. Yeah. Kind of like, reminiscent of bands in the eighties and prior to that. And, and, but the thing is, is without social media, I don't think a lot of bands would have the audience and have the success that they have today. Yeah. You know, would, would we be where we are today without social media? I don't know. Yeah. So it's definitely, I don't know. I that kind of stuff I I take in stride because I I think social media is funny and yeah. regardless of 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 anything that anybody sends me whether it be good or bad um I appreciate the positives that mm-hmm. come out of it for sure. And um and then I also appreciate the shitty messages too cuz <laughs> I just think they're funny and yeah. I had somebody recently send me a message on Instagram and just said I hope you piss yourself. <laughs> And I was like, hell yeah, that's sick. Yeah, I I I think that kind of stuff, it just absolutely cracks me up. And like um this last album that we released, it was my wife's first album release that she had been with me through. And mm-hmm. I was like reading her some of the comments like on YouTube and like she just didn't understand how I wasn't getting mad. And she's like, Well, I've been dealing with this for like twelve years. It's good. Like I, I think it's hilarious <laughs> when someone's like you know, this song is so bad, you should actually just die. And I'm just like, nice. <laughs> and she's like, you need to respond to them. I'm like, no, not happening. <laughs> I I think I think at a certain point the healthy thing to do is to just not look at any of it. Oh, for sure. Um because I think YouTube comments definitely are like top tier toxic. Yeah. So I I try to not read anything and I'm a little bit better with like my personal Instagram and Twitter. And um, I try to 
respond to comments and messages and stuff, depending on what they are. Yeah. Um, but at some point you have to just stop looking because whether it's good or bad, it's like, it's going to take you half a day to go through stuff. And then if you respond to one person, you have to respond exactly. to everybody and yeah. it becomes this kind of messy situation. So. Definitely. Yeah. And if we talking about like a presence, like of not really knowing a band, like, or knowing them personally, but whenever they walk out on st- stage, you are absolutely just like, Oh crap, there they are. I saw Amon Amarth. Um, it had now it was probably like seven years ago, but they were like one of my all time favorite bands because they just write the catchiest guitar riffs possible. Um, mm-hmm. And they're the band I learned guitar to. I saw them at the Granada in Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, so it's not the biggest venue, but not, not tiny. I was standing probably like 70 foot from stage. And they played by themselves for like three hours. No other band on the bill. Wow. <laughs> and, um, like so everyone's just waiting and they're coming straight out they're the first band to play so there's no warm-up or anything and so the lights go down and i like immediately started like tearing up just i get emotional whenever i see like a lot of these bands uh that i like grew up on and right when they walk out on stage i could literally smell them like it was weird <laughs> like, they i was just like i don't know if they like purposely did something like that like because these dudes are vikings and i can literally smell them from 60 foot away or if there was just so happened to be some smelly dude walking by me or something. But like I in general just had this overwhelming presence of these dudes walking out and just being, you know, I'd listened to them since I was like 10, you know, loving their riffs and playing drums to them and everything. And um, what band kind of that you've seen gives you that sort of uh, like that you saw them and you're like, holy crap, like this is them. Hmm. That is a very good question because I don't get starstruck very easily. Yeah. Um, I was I freaking we were playing at uh, the House of Blues in uh, Hollywood, and so you're bound to inevitably if you play there enough, you're going to see someone. And I was walking down the stairs around the outside completely by myself, and I turned the corner. And Jack Black was standing in the stairwell by himself. And I just, I like didn't want to say anything because I don't want to be that guy. And so I just, abs- I saw him looking at me and watching me walk past and I just absolutely ghosted him. And <laughs> I regret that so much now, but like I should have at least said, hey, what's up? Like, so he could have said what's up to me or something, but I, I, I'm the same way. I don't want to like fanboy or anything like that. There's been a couple times where I couldn't help myself, but say like, I absolutely love everything you've done and you've inspired me, but I'm the same way. I try not to be like that. Yeah. It's, I I think a a big part of that is they, they, whoever they is always say to never meet your heroes because you have this idea of who they are. And if they don't live up to your expectations, it'll ruin everything for you. And so I think maybe that subconsciously has always just been embedded in me where I'm like, if I see somebody that I that I used to listen to, or I'm like, oh, I recognize that guy, I just avoid. I'm like, no, <laughs> stay away from me. I don't, I don't want anything to do with you yeah. because you're gonna ruin my life. <laughs> um, I I, I want to say probably probably man. 
maybe Davey Havoc from AFI. Okay. Yeah. We played a uh, Soundwave in Australia, and I saw him walking around backstage in the the like artist area, and he was wearing this. I don't even know what co- what the specific type of color was, but it was this really light pastel blue suit. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, it's a hundred degrees. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. And and I, you know, I just walked past him and I didn't say anything because what am I sp- what am I supposed to say? Right. And uh, I think that was the only time that I was like, oh god, <laughs> I know that guy. Right. Yeah, and I mean, especially with people like like him, it's just so they're so legendary. You know, they get it every moment that they walk anywhere, and it's you don't want to be that guy. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I think the the biggest person I I couldn't stop like fanboying to a little bit was when we toured with Impending Doom and talking to Brooke Reeves. He was just like the biggest influence on me as like a performer, like watching them like and i just couldn't help but tell him like yeah like you're the reason that i'm doing this and we were torn with him so he had to deal with me every day that was like the only time that's ever happened <laughs> but that's sick you, just, you gotta do it you know and you know he's he was chill about it and um i think that for me also like romstein i, I have to get your thoughts on romstein because i think they're the just the flawless band that is just doing the you, you obviously can't argue that they're just Absolutely doing crazy stuff. What's your thoughts on Rammstein? I mean, Rammstein can do no harm in my book. Yeah. Like they're, I, they could do anything and I would love it. They could do anything on stage, put any type of music out. And I, I would think it's great. They're just, they're one of those bands that you just can't help but love. And um, I guess I shouldn't say that because I do know people that <laughs> don't get it. Yeah. But, I think if you do get it, then you'll understand where I'm coming from. And they're just great. And I mean, their newest album is potentially their best record. It is pretty incredible. It's the, I think it's probably the most thing or the, the most listened to album I've, I've had on Spotify this year. Yeah. I mean, they just, their songwriting is on another level um, with like the details. Like one thing they did a lot on this record that I, that just freaking I couldn't stop thinking about while I was listening to it. They did a lot of this like question and answer type thing where the like vocal will do a a vocal melody and he'll do it for like half a measure and then the synth will answer that with like a counter melody. And they do that oh, yeah. so much and it just kinda of blew my mind listening to it because I was like, you know it makes sense like a lot of bands like us that have a lot of synthesizers, a lot of background stuff, a lot of it's overlaying which kind of takes away from one or the other. Like if there's a big synth going at the same time as this big vocal melody, you lose one of the two where it's like, they are actually like offsetting those. So they'll do a big catchy vocal melody. The vocals will stop and then there'll be a big synth melody to match it. And it's like, you get both then like both are memorable, both stand out. And I don't even know, maybe that's not even an intentional thing, but it's something that intent that stood out to me and is going to affect my songwriting in the future. And I just think on they're on another level of creativity. I think European bands in general do a lot more creative stuff than American bands. Um, but that's just every, every one of my favorite bands are all German. So I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, uh, that, that question and answer thing is a really big pop thing. Yeah, true. Where 
that's that was a huge thing a couple years ago where it was like every pop chorus there was the chorus and then there was the catchy synth part right after that that was like the weird post chorus thing right and so i i don't think that that's an accident on their part it's definitely they're probably taking inspiration from that and i that i mean that's the same type of shit that 9 inch nails oh, did for sure. and that's why they were so big is cuz they took influence from pop at the time and infused it with whatever weird shit they were doing at the time in their own music yeah was there ever a moment that you guys considered dropping so much of the synth work no yeah same i mean i keep having people ask me <laughs> like like just so many times people are like well maybe we can back off the synths and maybe more people will be into it and i'm like i absolutely not it's to me an an, an integral part of the sound I think ha- just having that extra element just gives the band more texture, gives the oh, songs sure. more flavor, and um, allows you to do other things. Like if you wanted to have a song that's fully a full synth track, you could do that, and people would be like, "Oh, that makes sense." Whereas if you were just an a, a traditional instrumental band, and then you wanted to do a synth track or a a, a techno club track people would be like what the hell am i listening to what is this <laughs> right and my thought is like if you don't have these extra layers it's like okay you can have the guitar based drums and vocals and then you can maybe add like a reverbed or delayed guitar and that's it like you're kind of limited so yes. i i feel like it's essential uh to step up production to have so many an, an infinite amount of sounds to have access to and so I mean, a lot of bands have synthesizers, but there's very few that have been doing uh, synths for as long as like you guys or the Browning have that have kept it as like the prominent like thing in a lot of the songs. And especially even your guys' newest album, it's even more prominent than ever. Like it really is like an integral part of the sound. And like I said, that's one reason I still always just love all your guys' music. And um, so for this newest album, like I, I can I can pick out a couple influences, I'm sure, uh, that I can assume. But like for you, writing this newest album, what was one of the biggest things you wanted to accomplish? I think for me it was more about the ambience than anything else. Yeah. Just the kind of vibe of the overall songs. It was more just kind of like I a big thing. I know for Chris as well was soundtracks and like mm-hmm. movie scores and video game soundtracks. Yeah. I was going to say and, doom, but I didn't want to just like throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, doom is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, I think for me, another big one was death stranding. If you've okay. ever played that yeah. game. Yep. Um, just the, the eerie like off putting, sounds that are in a lot of the the not even the the soundtrack but just like the the soundscape as you're walking through this wasteland you hear these weird little things and i think it was just trying to figure out how to incorporate stuff like that into our stuff and it's less about the song itself and more just about texture and flavor and how do we how do we take this from just being emotionless song to making it sound like it belongs in a video game or right. 
in a movie or something. Yeah. And I think that that is um, for bands like us, like a natural kind of evolution because the sound does just lead itself towards that, towards that like area so much being so cinematic, you know, if you have strings and choirs and stuff, you're, you're clearly into like some cinematic crap. Um, And it's just because I like, even with the Browning's newest record, I had the same sort of revelation. I was listening to Mick Gordon's crap, like nonstop, like picking apart, like these background ambiences that sound like there's like bees buzzing all around your head, but it's in the background. So it just adds this like hypertension that you, you wouldn't have necessarily picked on up on if you're listening to it, but it adds this suspension and this buildup that is almost like, not even recognizable it just adds it and so having those layers and having that element i think is really really essential and especially with modern production being you know just getting crazier and crazier yeah oh yeah and the the difficult thing is that that makes mixing such a pain in the ass (laughs) yeah because then it's like i can't hear that little buzz in the background i just i want to be able to hear that and yeah yeah, it's a pain in the ass. It is. I freaking I did this last Browning record completely myself. Wrote, mixed, mastered everything. <laughs> and Damn. It took. Uh, I mean, I spent like two and a half years on this crap, and uh, you know, I'd had nothing else to do from COVID, anyways. But the <laughs> it was um, like like you said, it it does get difficult. Like some of these tracks I'm writing, they get to being like a hundred tracks of layers. You know, bouncing down yeah. this one sound and affecting it in a very specific way for this one part and the have have you guys worked with producers that have just kind of been like i don't know what to do like there's the the synths clashing with the guitar and this is the strings are clashing with this like it it is it's hard to find a producer that's willing yeah i so we've been fortunate to work with people like the people that we've been working with we've worked with in the past so it's not a new thing. Yeah. Um, I think the newest thing that we had on this was that it was mixed by uh, Zach Servini. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how he did what he did, but there's, it's almost like he was able to take pockets of each instrument and just put them around your head when you're listening yeah. to it. And that's never been a thing before. And I think that for that reason, this newest album is one of our best sounding albums just because you can hear literally every single thing. And I don't know how he did it because there's so many things in there. Um, but I, the dude's genius. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things that there are people that dedicate their lives to just like making, you know, mixes sound good. And it's really useful to take advantage of that stuff, especially if you got the budget for it and everything. And I mean, uh, how much of the production, like pre-production, do you guys do yourselves, like on your end? Uh, I think it depends on the, on the song. Um, a lot of, a lot of our stuff starts as just kind of demo-y, like here's what, here's what we were bringing to the table type of thing. Yeah. Um, it depends because I, I mean, the, the most that I use for like synths and shit is uh is what is that program called um oh now the name's escaping me got massive serum got 
Logic. Massive, yeah. Massive is one, um, and then there's another one that is all like dance tracks or dance synths uh, or like house synths. Absinthe uh, isn't. No, not absinthe. There's but I, I do, I, I do use absinthe also though. Yeah. Um, but that a lot of that is just kind of like here's the kind of sound that I'm thinking for this. It's and then it always ends up changing later to something else. Yeah. Um, but, um. It's just very simple. At least that's how I write because I know that stuff's going to change. Like mm-hmm. once we bring it into the studio and once we start working with people, it's a lot of like, how does this sound with vocal melodies and how yeah. does this clash with things? And everything just always ends up getting changed. So a lot of what I bring to the table is just kind of like a bare bones yeah. skeleton of a song. Like here's what I'm thinking and um, go from there. And, uh, do you guys work with songwriters on every song? Like someone who's helping along along in the process, or is it kind of you guys plus like producer? That's about it. It it depends. Uh, there's times where somebody that we know will just send us a song and is like, "Here, I wrote a motionless song. What do you think?" And sometimes that gets used. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times it's Chris working with a producer or. Mm-hmm me and Chris working on a demo and then that gets sent to somebody and then they send it back. And a lot of the stuff that we do is remote. So we'll work on stuff and email and email back and forth. And then that gets sent to whoever, and then they send it back and it's kind of a mess, but, um, (laughs) but we make it work. How long is your guys process for like this last album? This last album, I, I would say typically, for just writing, I think historically it's been like maybe six months of just writing. Yeah. And then a month, month and a half of tracking. Yeah. Um, this album, because of COVID, we had like a year, maybe a year and a half to write. Yeah. And do you think and that that extra time was helpful or did it make you like question yourselves a ton? I think that it did both. Yeah. I think it was it was helpful because it gave us a lot of room to explore and to try different things and see what worked and what didn't. I mean, we had going into this album, we had I think 30 or 35 songs that we had to narrow down. Yeah. And so having all that real estate to be able to work from was really nice. Oh, for sure. But I think at the same time, then you start thinking, is this good enough? Is this the right song for the album? Does this make sense? And having all that time makes you second guess things. And you're like, is this, does this fit? Does this make sense for what we're trying to do overall? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a blessing and a curse. For sure. And I mean, it's, it, it really is. And I I struggle like I said it's it's kind of hard for me to um, let go of some of my the things that I really hold on to and songwriting is one of those and so I literally write everything myself but I think it does shoot me in the foot sometimes because it does I I second guess every freaking thing about everything and so it's like it takes me time and a lot of processing and a lot of um, going back through stuff and just you know, throwing crap at the wall and, you know, seeing what happens and everything. And, um, or, or in the earlier days, whenever you guys like were starting off, were you guys sitting in the room jamming or was it still kind of this back and forth? 
in so back back during like creatures yeah it was more of us in the same room kind of playing things out trying to figure out what worked and what didn't um and then i think during the writing for infamous we were were writing more on the road so it was kind of like i'd set up a laptop and yeah jam out some ideas and then send them to chris and then he would set up somewhere and work on his own and it that it kind of stemmed from that where we just yeah. kind of started working we we found out over time that we work better independently um yeah. the nice thing about that is being able to write something and then be like i don't know where this is supposed to go you figure it out and send <laughs> it to whoever yeah um but the difficult thing is that sometimes your idea doesn't get fully th- thought through mm-hmm. you know, or like you write something with this clear intention of i know where i want this to go i just can't figure out how to get there yeah and then it gets taken and reworked and then it's something different and you're like okay well i guess that's cool but wasn't really what i intended <laughs> um yeah and, but that that's just the nature of songwriting you know when you're working with a group of people it's you can't be married to one thing because anything's possible. And I'm always in the mindset of the song is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. The story you're trying to tell with the song is the most important thing. So whatever has to happen to get that to that place is what needs to be the case. And that's fine with me. Yeah. And the story too. Um, And you guys are really thematic um, both in like the, the lyrical content and also like imagery and everything. And so how much of that, is there's like where do you get your most inspiration for like the imagery that you guys are trying to do and the like stories that you're like the lore of the crap that you guys are writing that is a good question (laughs) (laughs) or is it just coming naturally from like inspirations you guys have had over over time i think it's a, a combination of a lot of different things i think it's um, I think it's the movies that we like to watch. I think it's the music that we listen to, the video games that we play. Yeah. Um, this album specifically was was very video game heavy, yeah. and I think I think a lot of it just comes down to like what the intention of the overall album is. Like the very beginning before we even started writing this album, Chris and I had a conversation. He was asking me what I thought the, what direction I thought we should be going in. And I said, so I don't know. I feel like maybe something more, more electronic and maybe more, more cinematic feeling. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, totally. That's exactly what I had in mind as well. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you're on the same page. And um, so I think it's just kind of like over the, course of time we've just kind of gotten in tune with where our music needs to go and it just kind of naturally has taken place and yeah and do you that's do you feel like limited at all as music being your creative outlet or how do you get more creativity out beyond music like for me i see like novels as like the the biggest form of creativity because you're literally creating worlds and like beings and you know people inside of these books 
And do you feel limited creatively as like music is what you do or how do you supplement that? So I, <laughs> I had to, so this la this album and the album previous, I kind of took a little step back from writing as mm -hmm. much just because I felt super uninspired and I just yeah. felt like everything that I was writing just didn't really vibe with me. And, um, and so I kind of started diverting my attention into other things. Like I started doing more, more video content mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I, I do write a lot. So I was reading a lot and, um, and those two things are, are my two main things that I have outside of the band that helps kind of, Keep my brain balanced, yeah. I think. What kind of stuff do you like writing? To write, you said? Yeah. Um, I I like to write stuff that people don't like to talk about. I like to write <laughs> write about I like to write stories or situations that people avoid yeah. because it's hard to talk about or because it's embarrassing or it's uh it's painful to think about because those are the stories that i find that are the most compelling yeah and i think that those are the stories that really kind of bring out who somebody is and the fact that people don't like to talk about it is i think i think lends itself to the idea that people just avoid their own problems and avoid yeah facing their own drama and their own um, baggage. Yeah. And so, so if I people think, don't want to talk about it, you're like, no, let's talk about it. You're not getting out yeah, of this. Yeah, so <laughs> exactly. So I feel like if I write something like that and I can put that in front of somebody and they read it, then that in some form or another can help them deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with. Or mm -hmm. um, Because if you think about it, like somebody tells you a a super embarrassing story. It makes you automatically feel like, Oh, well I can, I can share this embarrassing story that I had too. Then right. like, it makes it not so, um, so forbidden to talk about it. And it makes it feel less like this stress or this burden that you have rather than just this thing that you went through and, mm -hmm. um, you just have to deal with it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff I like to write. Yeah. I mean, with stuff like that, one, one issue with, with that kind of like feeling that people get is I think that people feel like a lot more alone in their thoughts of like, Oh, this happened to me and it's embarrassing where it's like, no, like everyone has something equivalent to something like that. You know, like everyone goes through crap. Everyone's embarrassed. Everyone is, you know, stressed or has anxiety or whatever. Like there's people don't need to feel so alone. And so you're right. If you talk about it, then it can just lead, lead someone not feeling so alone in their, their thoughts on it. Yep, exactly. And, um, like for you and, um, like, are you, what, what is your favorite genre of like thing? Like I know like, you know, oddities or like horror or like, you know, what sort of thing are you into whenever it comes to that? Like, where do you draw a lot of inspiration for? from just in general you mean yeah just like with any of your creative stuff 
I'm always going to be partial to horror stuff and darker stuff just because that's what I grew up on. Because Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, they were they were my first yeah. my first foray into the real <laughs> horror genre. Right. Um. Well, I think that's an easy easy go to for sure. Oh, for is sure. is horror? Um, trying to think of anything else. We are we like there's some really I don't know why or what's so intriguing about it, but like even in podcasting, like true crime, you know, murder mystery crap is always really popular. But even there's this one YouTube channel we watch called Shrouded Hand, where this dude just he's a like a Scottish dude that just talks over like some simple graphics that is just telling like the most effed up murder stories out there. And I don't know why we watch this at night, but we do. And it's for whatever reason, it like holds our attention. And I, I'm just, I'm, I don't know why, but it, it kind of had me, you talking about people talking about things that are uncomfortable. It kind of had me feeling like with that YouTube channel called shrouded hand, it's just something about murder and this like dark, like effed up stuff that just holds people's attention so much. Yeah, I think that that probably that's because death has been such a kind of taboo subject right. in the past, and it's something that people don't have to deal with typically. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. most people don't know somebody that was murdered, or most people don't know somebody that got shot or mm-hmm. um that's just not an, for as as much as that happens on a daily basis it doesn't seem like that's a common enough thing right to where it becomes comfortable and i don't know if that ever does become comfortable because that would be kind of strange but um at least in the modern world i'm sure back in the day it was like yeah like three of my uncles were killed you know I, I yeah like, yeah yeah i feel like back then it was like whatever but nowadays you know it 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 is taboo, like you said. It is an uncomfortable thing to think about. It's it's kind of like reminds me of of getting tattooed, kind of right. like ta- getting tattooed used to be super taboo, and people would kind of dabble in it, and uh, and now it's super popular. Same mm-hmm. type, same type of deal. Even though it's not, um, I think murder mysteries are a little bit different than tattoos but uh well even in just talking about it like people used to not want to talk about you know the um evils of you know man you know (laughs) yeah yeah and now it's like no we're gonna throw everyone under the bus we're gonna let you know how it is and (laughs) it's a i don't know that that type of stuff is really just i don't know it, it keeps our attention for whatever reason what uh so you've talked a lot about video games like what was the video game when you were a kid that really just hooked you Hmm. Probably Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So were you more like into consoles and whatnot? Yeah, definitely. Growing yeah. up, yeah, console was my jam. And uh, was music always like a part of why you liked certain games, or it was it just like story driven? I think in the gaming world, it was more story driven for yeah. sure. I've I've just always been all my favorite games always have just like the sickest music. I don't I don't know if that's if it, that's just one thing that somehow stick, has always stuck out to me forever. But or maybe again it's that nostalgia. I just remember the songs from back then. And, yeah, that could be the case. Yeah, and I mean, Ocarina of Time has some of the best music ever written for a video game for sure. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, and for me, it, it was freaking RuneScape. I'm still, like, I started playing RuneScape in 2001. I'm still playing, like, now. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why, just that game, something about it. And, like, in the modern world, like, what's your favorite genre to play? Oh, uh... I still like RPG games. Yeah. Big fan of of the of those types of games. Um man, I'm trying to think of I'm not a big gamer, so I'm I'm trying to think of gotcha. like yeah. the last game that I played that I really liked was Red Dead Redemption Two. There you go. Um Yeah, I mean any Zelda game, I'm always I'm a big Zelda fan, so there you go. Do you remember doing a cover for the or like a remix for the Browning back in the day? Yeah, yeah, nice. I wasn't sure if that was like a an offshoot thing or if you remember doing that. No, yeah, I remember, I, dude. I haven't done a, I, that was the last remix that I did. I ha, I have not done anything like that since then. Well, we're doing a remix album right now, so it's time to <laughs> time to get it going again. <laughs> this podcast was just a, a whole roundabout way of being like, <laughs> hey, you want to do this, right? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, you did like a really cool kind of industrial kind of goth like remix of I don't remember this. I think it might have been Fifth Kind or something. I don't remember the exact song, but uh, from our second record. And so, have you have you been have you do you have any aspirations to do like solo music like that? I think at one point I did. I think now, I. I I started feeling like I was spreading myself too thin Definitely. with everything that I was doing. It was like I had this going on and was doing this and was working on this project. And it started to feel like, like dude, I just can't focus. Like, I, I'm never going to succeed at all these things. I need to just pick one thing and just do that and try to be the best that I can at that. And that's it. Um, so I, I, I pretty much have just stopped everything except for just video stuff and mm-hmm. music like those are the two things that i've been doing um yeah yeah and the video stuff like what what is satisfying about that to you well i think it's just the the story lover in me you know i'm i've always been a big book guy i've always loved writing mm-hmm. and i think being able to tell stories visually is something that's always been really intriguing to me yeah. Yeah, I mean I like like I said, I think storytelling and novels is by far the most creative outlet that like if if you're capable of it and it's also sick because you can do it till you're freaking, you know, in your deathbed. Uh and so it's something I've I've really wanted to get into. Um, but it's it is kind of daunting to be like, Okay, I'm gonna write this this whole book or something, <laughs> like probably gotta start at a smaller level, but um as far as like you said, getting in over your head um, with so many different projects and everything, uh, like even right now with this this long break that everyone had from COVID, I I got into all this other stuff and just like getting back into touring full time has been difficult for me to like it has to be the right tour, the right time, you know, the enough for me to want to get out and do it. Is has touring or is touring feel like that to you? Or are you guys at such a level that like touring is actually um, like you're not getting tired of it yet? Or are you? I think everyone just feels fortunate to, I I guess I can't speak it for everybody, but I know for me, I just feel fortunate to be able to be touring because 
at the beginning of COVID, there was a time where I sincerely was like, this band is over. Like there's right. no, I, I don't even know if we're going to be able to play shows ever again. Yeah. So I think to go from that mindset to then being able to play the shows that we've been playing, it's been like, man, this is such a humbling experience to be able to continue to do what mm-hmm. we're doing and thrive doing it. And um, yeah, I just feel very fortunate to to be where we are. Definitely. And I had the same things. I was, I was getting freaked out cause it just, the, you know, the lockdown was just going and going and going and, uh, especially bands in our genre, a lot of times touring is like necessity for success and for being able to like do it. And, yeah. um, you know, it's so I, I had the same thing. I'm like, what the crap am I supposed to do? And, you know, once we, we went out and did a headliner, once everything opened back up and we did better numbers than we've ever done on a headliner. And do you guys think that there is this like revitalization of excitement from the fans after COVID? Yeah, I think people are just uh, itching to go back to normal, you know, like people want entertainment and I think people were deprived for so long that it was like the first chance anybody got. They were like, I'm going to the show. I'm going to see this movie. Yep. I'm going out to do whatever. And I think that that's been a huge, a huge um, indicator of how important the live arts are. And yeah. Um, how important stuff like movies are and entertainment and especially stuff that people couldn't do during, during COVID, you know, like I think I read some article about how Spotify had the biggest numbers that they've ever had Mm -hmm. over COVID just because nobody had anything else to do other than to listen to music. Yeah. Uh, Which is frustrating because it's like, okay, Spotify, if that's (laughs) the case, then, you know, cut the bands a little bit bigger of a check. I was literally about (laughs) to ask you that since you brought it up. Like, how do you feel about, especially with a band that streams so much, like how do you feel about that? The percentages and what do you think is even a solution? I mean, it's tough to say because uh, music is so different now than it was 20 years ago that yeah, like people, people just consume. And um, I think without things like Spotify and Apple music, I don't know if music would be, I just don't know if it would be the same. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to imagine music without that anymore because, you know, you just pull, pull it up on your computer and there it is. Well, isn't it, isn't it so weird that it was like so heavily fought, um, you know, against like downloading music and everything. Um, and then now it's like the, the consumer won, you know, like Spotify is by far the best platform ever made for a consumer, but also at the same hand, terrible for the artist. Like there's, there's essentially no album sales anymore. I mean, I'm sure you guys still make really good album sales and everything, but not in comparison to what it would be without it. Um, yeah. And so it's like, the the consumers just pushed so hard to be like no this is what we want because it's the cheapest option for us and that that just took over and like you don't have an option anymore um besides to have your stuff on the biggest platform and i mean i don't i don't necessarily see how like the culture can shift back at all i think i think it's a whole new game now 
Yeah, it's kind of like opening Pandora's box. You know, once you once it's out of the bag, it's kind of like you can't really shove it back in because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, people have experienced it one way, and that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem is trying to figure out what's fair for the artist. Yeah, because right now it kind of feels like artists are being kind of ringed out, mm-hmm. and it just feels like like there's less of an emphasis on the appreciation, I guess. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess that I guess that's probably normal because <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a big corporation and right. who cares about the, the little guys or who cares about where this music is coming from. It's just a product at the end of the day to these people. And that's that. Um, but we worked with, me, Chris, and Ryan worked with a producer in, he's just outside of DC named Matt Squire. And he is lobbying for, he's like doing a bunch of stuff with Congress trying to get this new thing implemented. He worked with a, some sort of software engineer that created this. I don't even know how to how to explain it. It's like a software that you could implement into radio stations and live streaming and it would count, it would like tally all the song plays and it would basically give the power back to the artist where the artist can then say, "Well, we want X amount per song play." Yeah. And then that radio station could either say yes or no. And then it would go into the software and the software would automatically generate everything. Yeah. And so I think having something like that would really be cool for everybody because then artists would feel like they're getting a fair share. Uh, but I don't know where that currently stands. I, I, we, we were there talking to him about it when it was still like he had the product, but was like, I'm trying to lobby it and trying to get it into the right hands to make yeah. it work. But who knows? I mean, Spotify has so much money. It's like, even if that was the case, a company like that could derail that, you know, in a second. So, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it just, it, the modern way that this stuff is sold and it, it feels like music is a marketing tool to sell merchandise. Cause it's like, <laughs> That's your money's in that now or live shows. It's like the music doesn't even necessarily feel like the product anymore. It feels like the tool as to uh, market people to come to your concert to buy merch. Like <laughs> it, I just wish that there was a better way to monetize in the modern world. But like, like I said, the consumer's going to win. The people that are listening are going to win uh, no matter the situation. And it's, it is just interesting. And I mean, you guys stream a lot. And you have a lot of people that are specifically getting on these platforms to specifically listen to you, but somehow, like you know, Post Malone makes money off of the people that come and listen to your music because they just put this vat of money together of total streams and split it. It's like I feel like mm-hmm. there should be something that's like if someone literally gets on Spotify only to listen to Motionless and White, like maybe you guys should make a high percentage of their like subscription you know <laughs> it yeah. just makes sense like the, I, it, 
like even for a band like the Browning, like we have a, a small but very dedicated fan base. Like the people that love the Browning listen to a lot of the Browning, but somehow those people's money still goes to other people. It's a, <laughs> such a weird setup. And I don't know. I don't know the solution, but <laughs> it's uh, basically just, I don't know. I think live shows are still just the moneymaker and merchandise and everything. And, um, you know, you guys, you guys have do really good with branding and merchandise and, you know, doing exclusive drops and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's good to see that, uh, you know, a lot of bands can still make a good living off of this. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's, it's uh, like you said, it, it a lot of times it does feel less about the music and more about just the lifestyle of the band. Or, mm-hmm. um, But I, I also don't know if maybe that's a, like an era type thing where, we're in a time where people don't don't just want to have music to listen to. They want yeah. they want to be a part of whatever that band is. They want to they, they want, want a personality to, and exactly yeah. yeah yeah. And I mean, it, at least you guys got that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys got that going for you. And so from from here, like, you guys have done the whole scale of like starting from here and you've scaled up just the whole spectrum. I feel like you guys didn't necessarily have like one moment that just made everything happen. I think that you guys did, did this like grind and made it happen for yourselves. Um, and you know, I appreciate seeing that, but like where, where is there to go from here? Like what is the current aspiration or is it just continuing what you're doing and have this like slow perpetual steady growth? that is a great question um so i think going forward i mean obviously we're going to just continue to do what we're doing and yeah. and try to try to continue to make the music that we want to make and share it with people and um and do that but i'm not sure as far as where where things are going to go, you know, like I didn't, I never anticipated that we would have a top 10 radio song. Um, I didn't anticipate that we'd be playing the the size of shows that we're playing. So it's yeah. kind of like at this point we're in uncharted territory. I have no clue what <laughs> to expect. No yeah. clue where things could go. Um, I'm just here for the ride at this point. Like I'm, I'm letting the universe or whoever take control and I'm just, buckling up and saying i'll see you on the other side i guess (laughs) i mean how does that feel like i mean you're just in like the creatures era or even like slightly before that you know you guys were doing shows to like a couple hundred people or probably even a lot less than that sometimes to Mm -hmm. like this like you said you didn't expect this at all and so like if you could go back and tell yourself something like 12 years ago, what would you tell yourself right now? The only thing that I could say is just stick with it. Yeah. Just keep, keep grinding and don't, uh, don't let, don't let anything derail where your head's at because things are going to be fine. Yeah. And so like through that and with that being said that, that brings the assumption that there was times that it was difficult for you. And so like, what was the biggest hurdle 
through this career path that you've had that like that was the biggest hurdle to overcome? I think there's been a lot of little things along the way. It hasn't been one big thing. It's just been, it's kind of like a relationship, you know, relationships mm-hmm. are not easy. They take work and being in a band is no different. Um, you're, you're going to have problems with people. Eventually you're going to have crew that doesn't work. You're going to have interband disputes um and then there's times where you might feel like do I even want to be in this relationship you know what i mean right. so um i i don't think that there was ever a time where it was just like i'm ready to give all this up mm-hmm. but i think that there's definitely times where it was like dude this is this is hard and I don't know how much more of this we can do at mm-hmm. the level we're doing it. And I mean, it. I, I'm sure you know in, in your touring career that it's just, there. there's stuff that you miss out on being gone and mm-hmm. um, you have this whole other life at home that you don't get to enjoy for 80% of it, you know? Right. So um, like I've, I've, missed weddings i've missed funerals i've missed mm-hmm. um birthdays i've missed i've missed a lot of stuff by being gone and th- it's just one of those things it's it's if you let it it will take control of you and get under your skin and make you start questioning whether it's what you want and i think the 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 challenge is to suppress the thoughts or to um, yeah. to come to terms with, you know, what is it that you actually want? Are you actually here because you want to be here, or is or do you want to be here because of because this is all you know? You know, I don't. I've I've I don't know. definitely felt like an obligation to it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, like I and, I felt like if I stop doing this, like there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that are mad at me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Um I was just going to say that it, it at the end of the day it just comes down to knowing what's right for you and knowing what you want out of it at the end of the day. Yeah. Um if you're getting if you're getting all of your creative creativity, how do I say that? All of your creative needs met by touring and making music, then by all means. Uh, but if you're, it, it's it's a lifestyle. So not everybody is going to be able to mm-hmm. do it. Not everybody is going to be able to jive well. I know people that have had mental health issues on the other side because they can't deal with it. They can't yeah. deal with the travel. They can't deal with the stress of being gone. And it's tough. It's not, it's not an easy life. And as much as, as glamorous as it seems, mm-hmm. um, it's, there's definitely a lot of hardships that come along with it. So I guess yeah. at the end of my whole ramble, what uh, my roundabout way of saying <laughs> is if you're starting a band or you're, you you want to be in a band, 
be mentally prepared because it's not going to be as easy as you think. Yeah. And, and I think that this same mentality applies to a lot of realms in life beyond even like music, like the same thing can be applied to someone that's a teacher. Like you could be sitting there as a teacher, you know, grinding out this career and you're just like, I don't know, man, like, (laughs) you know, this is rough. Like everything can kind of apply to this. And I think, like you said, as long as there is something in there that is satisfying you, and because everything is a give and take, whether it's music or, like I said, a teacher or a firefighter, you know, you have to be on call 24 7. You don't know when you're going to have to get up. And it's like, as long as there's something in there that has given you, like, a sense of purpose, then it's worth doing in some way. Absolutely. And uh, I think that there's a lot that can be, um, learned from people's experiences in careers like this because there's there is a lot of perseverance and there's a lot of moments that get difficult but in the end there is this great satisfaction that people do get and i think you can get that in so many different ways in life like you don't have to be in a band to get that satisfaction you can do literally anything and have that but as long as you have that feeling i think that whatever you're doing is worth doing definitely absolutely yeah and i mean like i said i freaking I've been following you guys uh, forever. I think there's there's only a handful of bands that that I can compare like my own music to, and so I do have a connection to like your guys' stuff. And I just really appreciate seeing you guys out there, absolutely just doing it up. And so <laughs> I can appreciate Thanks, the man. perseverance. And like I said, I I asked, has there been a thought of getting rid of synths? And I'm glad that you directly, no questions asked, said no. So <laughs> we got to <laughs> keep it alive, dude. And so yeah, no. I- I think I think if anything we're gonna try to do more because why not? Exactly. Why not? Guitars are boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it, it really is just the perfect dynamic for, for aggressive music because synths are so aggressive as well. They can be they can be pretty, they can be aggressive, they can be everything. And um yeah, I I appreciate your time and I appreciate you being here chatting with me and everything and um, you know, it's just it's nice to hear from someone that has had you know, success and stayed with it. So thank you. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me and let me be a part of it. I'm stoked to be here. So heck yeah. And I'll, I'll send you over the stem so you can start that remix. (laughs) All right. Yeah. All right. Sweet. All right. I'll talk to you later, dude. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening all the way through that episode. I appreciate it so much. Make sure you head over to burnthisworld.com and click become a member. For only $3 a month, you can support everything that we're doing here, and you can listen to the after show recap to get my personal thoughts on what me and the guests just chatted about. Again, thank you so much. Peace out.